0: This is 15-Minute History, a podcast for educators, students, and history buffs featuring the minds and talents of the University of Texas at Austin. 15-Minute History is a partnership of Not Even Past and Hemispheres in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin.
1: Hi, I'm Joan Neuberger, editor of Not Even Past, and your host for today's episode of 15-Minute History. Our guest today is John Merriman, a distinguished professor of history at Yale. Hi, John. Welcome to 15-Minute History.
0: Thank you very much. It's very nice to be here.
1: John has just published a new book on the last of the great revolutions that occurred in France, the Paris Commune of 1871. The book is called Massacre, the Life and Death of the Paris Commune. So John, this very short-lived revolutionary experiment was actually very complicated. Uh, On the one hand, it was called the Festival of the Oppressed. Um, It was the largest urban uprising in Europe in the 19th century. But then very quickly, it ended in a horrific massacre. So let's start, if you don't mind, with a short overview of what the Paris Commune was, and then we'll turn to talk about causes and results and things like that.
0: Sure. Well, the Paris Commune began on March 18th, 1871, when very ordinary people, above all women, in Montmartre, uh, on the edge of Paris, which just had been annexed into Paris in 1860, when they suddenly saw troops were coming from Versailles to take the cannons of the National Guard who had defended Paris against uh, the Prussian siege that took place uh, uh, during the Franco-Prussian War. And they alerted the menfolk who were still asleep, and with men, women, and children, they stopped the troops from taking the cannons down the hill from Montmartre. They also discovered two generals who were infamous uh, for their repression of ordinary people, and put them up against the wall, for better or for worse, and gunned them down. At that point, the head of the provisional government, a guy called Adolphe Thiers, withdrew the troops of the Versailles provisional government out of Paris and encircled Paris and prepared to crush the Commune. Uh, The Commune de Paris lasted from March 18th, 1871, until May 28th, of the same year, 1871, when it was crushed in a bloodbath by the troops of Versailles. It was during this period that two important things happened. One is that ordinary people put forth their claims for a more just world, for the right to have Paris to have a, a mayor, to have better wages, women to have better conditions of life, etc. It was a time of big dreams. And the second thing that happened. Uh, Most important thing is that, in in a way, it anticipated the demons of the 20th century, when you could be killed for simply being who you were. And Bloody Week lasted, and it was indeed that, from the 21st of May and the 28th of May, when the commune came to a bloody and brutal end.
1: Well, let's talk about the causes, then. Um, They have to be seen both in internal domestic politics of France, but also in international politics. Let's start with um, the Franco-Prussian War. Tell us how that contributed.
0: Well, the emperor of France was uh, the nephew of uh, Napoleon I, and he was called Napoleon III. And he uh, managed, for a variety of improbable reasons, to get France uh, in a war with Prussia and its German allies. And to say the least, the war went badly. They are blown out almost everywhere, the French army is, uh, by superior troops with superior cannon, above all. And Paris is is surrounded, it's besieged, really, from the beginning of September until late January 1871. There were lots of coffins carrying old people and young, very young children and babies, a time of great hardship. Parisians wanted to continue the fight, hoping against hope that... uh, Uh, that some kind of foreign intervention would arrive, uh, or that Lyon and Marseille and other places might send uh, troops to end uh, the siege. But they finally are defeated, and France is forced to sign an armistice in which France lost all of Alsace, which was largely German-speaking, I might add, and uh, much of Lorraine, which became part of the new German empire, which was proclaimed, oddly enough, in the palace of the Hall of Mears in the Chateau of Versailles. And it was the provisional government that signed this armistice with Prussia and subsequently with the German Empire. And when elections returned, a very conservative, monarchically inclined uh, deputies to create the new France in the legislature, uh, it led to the event when uh, the army of Thiers uh, go up to Montmartre. In other places, Belleville as well, to try to take the cannons. And the Paris commune is proclaimed at the Hotel de Ville several days after the events of the 18th of March.
1: So the war was experienced very differently in Paris than in the rest of France?
0: Yeah, there was fighting in the Loire. There was an army of the Loire, uh, but basically the fighting... Uh, was in the east. Napoleon III himself was captured at Sedan uh, in the Ardennes, uh, right near the Belgian border, thus uh, northeast, well northeast of Paris. But it was the Parisians who suffered the most, as Paris was to be starved out by the German armies, the Prussian armies, and the, their allies.
1: So what brought about the end of that? Was it the war that brought about the end of the Second Empire, Napoleon III?
0: Yes, the war. Uh,
1: and, and then what, what brought Adolphe Thiers to Power?
0: Well, he became the provisional, uh, elected the provisional president of the fledging regime uh, in, uh, in Bordeaux, uh, the legislative meeting a, a in republic? Bordeaux. Uh, well, it wasn't yet a republic. That was it. A lot of Parisians thought they were going to install a monarchy, uh, or at best, a very, very conservative and clerically inclined uh, republic led by Thiers. So there was lots of tension there. And it was Thiers who referred to ordinary people as the vile multitude. And so there were tensions there. And at the end of the Second Empire, there had been, you know, a really important movement uh, of workers uh, debating politics, uh, having the right to discuss, finally, uh, the political world in the in Angers, the or the sort of warehouses of the periphery uh, in Paris. And there was a republican-slash-socialist movement. But the war, Napoleon III brought the fall, the collapse of the Third Empire upon himself with this uh, improbable war against Prussia.
1: So, let's go back to Paris, then. Was the commune workers against elites, was it a class politics, or was it Paris against the rest of France, or is it both?
0: Well, it was both, I mean, because, you know, a, a classic Marxist interpretation, or these are sort of proto-proletarians, you know, proletarians. They were, you know, some of them were proletarians, but most of them were artisans, and when, when life was good, they could get by. But they had a lot of middle-class support, too. A lot of middle-class intellectuals were, were involved in this. There were parts of France. Uh, there were cities like Saint-Étienne and Lyon uh, and Marseille that were extremely uh, leaning towards supporting the Commune. But you had lots of, of conservative France, particularly in the west of France, where people were against the Commune and had always resented Paris and didn't necess- necessarily speak French. And, in fact, the army that crushed uh, the communards uh, that slaughtered men, but also women and some children. During Bloody Week of 1871, uh, many of the soldiers were Bretons. They were from Brittany, and they didn't speak French uh, at all, basically, or many were from Normandy and other conservative districts, parts of the north of France. So it's more a class analysis won't completely do, nor will just so Paris versus the provinces interpretation work. You know, it's a complex time, but it was a time of dreams and of hope, and that's what made me want to write this book about it. And you know, I, f- I picked... Uh, A number of people on both sides whose lives I wanted to follow and sadly for many of them whose deaths I was able to recount. So, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun to research and uh, a lot of ups and downs in writing about this. This was, you could be killed for simply existing. You know, it makes me think a little bit, uh, you know, to use popular of, uh, shouldn't do this probably, but uh, you could be killed for simply existing. 41 shots, uh, hands up, don't shoot, um, you could be killed if you were Polish, you could be killed if you spoke Russian, you could be killed if you had a working-class accent, if you spoke what we call in French an accent a uh, faubourien, if you spoke from the edge of margins of city life. Uh, if you had rough hands, it was a world of work. You were identified with, with being a worker, and it'd be up against the wall.
1: The Catholic Church uh, was a longtime adversary of democratic-leaning forces in France. Um, what role did the church play in the tensions of 1871?
0: Well, that's a complicated story because, in fact, the Archbishop of Paris, who's who's executed as a hostage on May 24th by the Communards, um, was a Gallican in that he was, you know, against the Pope, and he was against, uh, for example, the um, uh, doctrine of papal infallibility, and had been more or less against the doctrine of the immaculate conception. But the Church was identified with the fancy folk of Paris and they had their their weddings and their baptisms and their funerals in La Madeleine among other uh, churches in the west remember the western part of Paris was extremely more frique comme on dit en français more 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 uh, prosperous more wealthy than the eastern proletarian uh, quartier populaire districts and there'd been a rapid increase in the number of priests and nuns and the religious congregations that were resented by ordinary people uh, the catholic church had a monopoly over the education of, of, of girls and young women, which lagged behind that of men. So from the point of view of, of ordinary people in Paris, the Catholic Church was allied with the, the Second Empire, which indeed it had been, and they entered into an adversarial relationship uh, with, um, with the Catholic Church mm-hmm. um, during the Paris Commune. But it's more complicated than that. In some cases, you had National Guardsmen fighting inside of the Commune, coming in to meet in clubs, which met, after all, in churches, mm-hmm. like St. Eustache, which were the biggest places that you could meet, and suddenly coming upon some priest who had given them their first communion. So it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, essentially, that was the role of the church, as mm-hmm. it was perceived by uh, working people, and particularly women, by the way, who wanted the right to, have, to divorce, etc.
1: Did the Paris Commune accomplish any of its... Revolutionary Goals?
0: Well, they didn't have much time. Right. You know, they did a few, some, the most famous, of course, they abolished night baking because you had all these bakers trying to heat up croissant for the wealthy people and not just the wealthy people. But they did some progressive things. They set up nurseries for working women. They uh, made sure that unionized women were, were uh, making and repairing the, the uniforms of the National Guard. But, you know, the guns of the enemy were drawing closer and closer. And they were shelling Paris uh, almost from the beginning of the, of the whole thing, from the beginning of April. And it's amazing. They disputed. They didn't all have the same ideology. There were some who were Jacobins, who were kind of radical centralizers. There were some socialists. They were a smattering of anarchists. You had some moderate Republicans who only wanted the right to vote, that Paris should have a mayor for whom they would vote. And it's amazing what they did accomplish in such a short period of time.
1: So why then did it end... So quickly and in such a bloodbath?
0: Well, it ended in a bloodbath because that was what Thiers was planning to do. Uh, when he pulls soldiers out of Paris, he wants to build up his army to 130,000 men. Bismarck, who was the chancellor of the new German Republic, let freed French soldiers, troops, so they could help crush the Commune. And so by May 21st, they have at least 130,000 men, well armed men who had been taught that the Parisians were uh, craven reptiles and that they were, they were godless socialists, and they were drinking the wine of the rich and, and all of this stuff, and they were really to, to, to smash some heads. And uh, so far as the commune went, they only had, nominally, Uh, They they might have had on the rolls of the National Guard all men between the ages of 21 and 40. But in reality, only about 25,000 men fought for the commune until the end. And the the soldiers used the big power arteries, the boulevards created by uh, Baron uh, Georges Haussmann in the rebuilding of Paris in the 1850s and 60s, this is the, for tourist Paris today, or the Grand Boulevard. But these were created to bring more light into Paris, more health into Paris. But also, you couldn't build barricades across big boulevards. And the the troops of Versailles had other advantages too. They would climb up on buildings. They would take buildings next to the barricades of the Commune and shoot down on them. And it was you know it was a bloodbath. The, the Commune basically had no chance for victory. And it's amazing how many people held out until the end. There were many women fighting till the end. It's a you know, it was a, it was a ghastly thing, it unleashed the demons of the 20th century, as and, I said, beginning.
1: Right, and you were saying that th- there was a lot of random killing, or just killing because of who you were, or.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could get killed for just being in the wrong place and the wrong time, because the the troops of Versailles targeted certain neighborhoods that were identified with the political left, Montmartre, where the Commune started, Belleville, up in the north. These are mostly places in the northeastern quadrant of Paris, uh, the northeastern quartier, and also the 13th arrondissement, again in eastern Paris, that on the left bank. And so... If you had rough hands of work, you could be killed. If you spoke French with an accent from the faubourg, from, you know, the edge, the margins of city life, you know, you could be killed. Uh, There was one man who was shot down because they asked, what's your profession? He said, I'm a mason. And so the officer from Versailles said, so it's masons are going to be running France now up against the wall. And that was the end of him. It just there was serendipity. You had, if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, that was the end. As we say in French, "La fin des haricots." That's the end of the green beans <laughs> up against the wall. Not all of the the generals were, were mass murderers, but what they did is they put people on trial ten seconds or fifteen seconds, mm-hmm. and then they sent them the most. If you know Paris at all, if you go to Chatelet, which is where a lot of the theaters are now. Uh, they put them on trial at Châtelet, and if they were found guilty, and you know many, many, if not most, were the next thing they were taken in chains to uh, behind the town hall, behind the Hôtel de Ville, into the the barracks of Lobo, which is still there, and they were gunned down. And when they couldn't kill enough with uh, uh, with rifles, they brought in machine guns. And if you go to the gardens of Luxembourg and you can see the little children playing with their sailboats and their stuffed animals around the pond, look up because there's a wall there, and that's where lots of people died too. Mm -hmm. Or at Parc Monceau in the 17th arrondissement, the same thing. So it was a tragic story. The numbers who were killed, the lowest estimate ever, which is inconceivable to me, though one of my friends believes this, uh, one of my colleagues, a very good historian, 8,000. The high estimates are 30,000, which is very improbable. Uh, It's about 15,000 to 17,000 people were killed. Many of them died in the fighting but more of them died in summary executions.
1: And were the were the soldiers who killed them? Were they ideologically or politically motivated? Were they ordinary people, or or were they just? Well, they were in the soldiers? army.
0: These right. were a lot of more peasants, as I said before. Many of them were for conservative parts of France, and they'd been had drilled into them that the communards were terrible people, and and, and that they were, you know, re, retaking the values of civilization and slaughtering them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Uh, you know, there are lots of deaths out there, but they weren't all doing that. I mean, there was—I have many stories. I couldn't tell them all in this book. I mean, the original manuscript was 1,100 pages, and I cut it down to a mere 500 manuscript pages. But uh, you know, a lot of good things happen. I, there are some amazing tales of people just being lucky, running into somebody as they're about to be executed who had the same trade, for example, and who manages to save them, somebody was about to be shot. He was waiting in line not for a a movie ticket or waiting in line not for a theater ticket, he was waiting in line to be killed, and he was number four and it was going to go 3, two, 1, and that's the end of the green beans. And the next thing he knows, two minutes later, he's having a drink. And I would have had several under these circumstances <laughs> uh, in a cafe across from the Garden of Luxembourg. The cafe is still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, lots of amazing things happen. that's why the story I wanted to tell this story. And, and it's you know a sad story, and I tried to make it a gripping story, and uh, I'm on to something else now. But, uh, you know, I go up Periodically to the wall of the Federer, the Mur des Fédérés, and that's where lots of people were killed after the fighting, slaughtered after the fighting in Pere Lachaise Cemetery, and there is um, a plaque there in honor of the people who were shot there. And on May Day, people used to go up there. But when I go up there, you know, and I do have a lot of nostalgia for the Commune. It's if I can hear, you know, Thomas Wolfe, something out of Thomas Wolfe, uh, totally different uh, context. Oh, lost. And by the wind grieved, ghost come back again.
1: Is that how uh, most French look back on the Commune today?
0: It used to be very contentious. Uh, but the, the Commune now has become part of the national narrative. So even Nicolas Sarkozy, uh, you know, the once president and hopefully never again president of France, even he had to uh, you know, make an allusion to the Paris Commune as being part of the national narrative until World War I. Um, well, particularly in the in the 1870s and the 1880s, uh, the French right considered the the commune sort of an apocalyptical vision of what lay in store for them if you let ordinary people have their way.
1: What a fascinating story. Thank you very much for coming in and talking and to pas us. De quoi,
0: merci. thank you very much <laughs> it's, it's nice to be here. For a transcript of this episode, alignments to the Texas and National Standards for Social Studies, and links to more information on this topic, visit our website at 15minutehistory.org. That's15minutehistory.org. And for even more, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. The University of Texas is a free speech campus. Opinions and viewpoints expressed in this or any episode of 15-minute history do not reflect the official position of the University of Texas or of any of its constituent colleges or departments.